this morning. The title is Looking for a Champion. Looking for a Champion. I read a book recently entitled You Say You Want a Revolution. That was the title of the book, and it was published, I think it was in 2020, timely publication for all that has gone on in our country. People are restless today. They are not happy with their leaders, regardless of what side of an issue that they are on. They are looking for somebody better. The author of this book, Daniel Sherow, he goes through several uh, very famous, prominent revolutions, the French Revolution, the Russian, the Iranian, the, the German, and a few others. And he draws some lessons from these revolutions. One of the lessons he draws is that revolutions are far more destructive than even the revolutionaries expected. So as we consider this restlessness in our country and even worldwide, and often this restlessness as people are, are upset and looking for something better, at least just forms of revolutions, whether very small or large, and all because people are looking for a champion. They want a savior. They want someone to address their needs. They want to feel like they are heard. They want a leader to deal with all of their perceived evils and the actual evils that they have experienced, the injustices. So today, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, that's why the title is Looking for a Champion. Let's pray. Father, truly we have your Son as our champion. Spirit of God, I pray that you would illuminate, shed light on the eyes of our hearts today and show us our restlessness and the struggles we have and how we are looking for earthly champions in spirit, turn our eyes to the Son, Jesus Christ, this morning, whom, Father, you have given and through him lavished on us amazing, indescribable, thrilling riches and love. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So right now as we look into the scriptures, it's going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. You want to go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at a Bible victory lap. In looking for our champion, I want to frame our desires around the ultimate champion. And I'm going to say it plainly. That ultimate champion is Jesus Christ. And Ephesians chapter 1 is one of my favorite chapters of the New Testament. It just verse after verse after verse is stacking upon stacking upon stacking. Beauty, riches, amazing things that 
God the Father has done for us through His Son, Jesus. And then in conclusion to that, Paul responds to this amazing reality he has just shared of what the Father has done for us in His Son, Jesus, and then sealed us with in His Spirit. And he prays for these people. He just told them all these amazing things. The letter that he wrote to them, say, hey, God, the Father's done all these amazing things in His Son, and then ultimately sealing it with His Spirit. Now I'm going to pray for you. And here's what I'm going to pray for you. And he lists out his prayer. And that is where we're going to spend our time this morning, starting in verse 15. This is Paul's prayer. He says, he's he's putting it down in a letter, but he's giving them the contents of how he's praying for them in response to what he said in the first 14 verses. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Hey, I heard that you're a believer in Christ. So, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking in Trinity terms here. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So here that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit. So here we have the whole, all three persons of the Trinity here. May give you the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Take a big breath. That was a lot. That is Paul for you. That was his personality, but the Holy Spirit used it as he... uh, um, scripturated these things for us, wrote them down, and they've been preserved for us. Now, if you want to know um, Paul in even greater detail, if you read the first 14 verses that we did not read, in the original language, that is all one sentence. And so Paul, this is just Paul, but he gives us amazing riches with the Holy Spirit's power. So I want to boil this down because... If you're like me, I'm going to spend quite a while trying to piece together all that he said, and I might lose some things. So I want us today to get the core idea of what Paul is saying. So I want to remove all the extra clauses from his sentence, and I'm going to just give the bare bones part of his sentence. Okay? So here is the bare bones part of his sentence. I ask God, this is his prayer, remember, I ask God to give you the spirit of wisdom so you can know. And then he's going to give three things. That, as he's praying, asking um, God to give them the Holy Spirit of wisdom, he wants them to know three things, okay? 
First of all, he wants them to know the hope that they had been given. Second, the inheritance they had been given. And then finally, the power of God that had been applied to them. And it's this third one today that we're going to spend time with. The power of God applied to believers. And so, yes, unbelievers begin to know the power of God through believing in Jesus, and then the power of God is applied to them in an amazing way. But this primarily applies to those who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And so, as we consider that, recently I read a book. Um, I know I'm a nerd. I read a book called Math Without Numbers. Because I like the concepts, but we get all weighed down and anchored down with having to fulfill all the equations. I want to understand the concepts. So in this Math Without Numbers, in math, they have this, this number, infinity, okay, is a, is a representation of a number. So he asks this question in this book, is there anything bigger than infinity? Is there? I said no, but of course he's the Harvard grad that wrote the book, and the answer is yes. There is something bigger than infinity, and that is a continuum of infinity. Okay, and for those of you who don't like math, just you can ignore that rest. Okay, so now, uh, several years ago when I was working at North American Pump, we were out to eat for lunch, and I was telling my boss, hey, you have thousands and thousands of emails in your inbox. You need to start deleting them instead of archiving them. Okay, and he says, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. I said, okay, I'm going to put it on your level here. He said, because I worked at a pump company where these are rough guys. They, they know about trucks. They know about machinery. They know about machine shop. They know about pumps. I said, so you can take all the emails, and you have like 10 truck bed fulls of emails. And if you would just delete them instead of put them in the back of your truck, that way you don't have a bunch of junk sitting in your trucks. Said, okay, all right, I got it. So I was able to quantify that for it. Right here is we're talking about God's power applied to believers. We're trying to quantify something that is beyond our ability to put a number on. It's immeasurable greatness is what we're looking at here. That's the phrase that the New Testament uses here. Immeasurable greatness. We cannot measure God's greatness. It is so great, it's beyond our ability to put a number on it. And that is the type of power that is applied to Jesus Christ first and then to us next. And so in Paul's sentence, we're in that third prayer request that he has about God's power applied to us. And then he gives us three reasons of why God's power is amazing by telling us what he did to Jesus Christ. So, God's power in Jesus as an illustration of God's power applied to us. So, God's power in Jesus, he gives three ways. First of all, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. 
Second of all, Jesus was seated at the right hand of God the Father. A position of prominence, a position of rulership, a position of victory. But then ultimately, and part of this has not happened yet, God placed all things under Jesus and he placed Jesus over everybody. This happened positionally starting when Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father and then placed all things under his feet and then him over everything. But there is a day coming when this will completely fulfill and actually happen in all of its fullness. That already not yet tensioned the Christians are familiar with is that, yes, we already have victory, but there is a portion of it that has not happened yet. And so God's power in Jesus, the fact that Jesus did not stay dead, that he was raised from the dead, the ability to move someone from death to life is beyond our ability to understand in terms of power units. But then to seat someone at the right hand of God the Father in all eternity in the heavenly throne room, that sort of power, we, we don't have numbers for that. And then for all the universe, all creation of all time, all people of all time, someday will be placed under Jesus' feet and every knee will bow to Jesus and confess him as Lord. And he will be, Jesus will be set as above everybody. We don't have numbers or units or power units to be able to describe that type of power. And what Paul is saying in his prayer here is that this is the type of power that is applied to you as God's child. I want to let that soak in. That is beyond compare. That is yours. That if you are a child of God, that is a present reality for your life today. Take the whole spectrum of situations that make up the fabric of your life and apply that reality of God's power to them. This is the power that was infused into our souls at the moment of salvation. That even makes our salvation possible. This is the power that gave us new life. This is the power that took us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. Yes, my friends, before you were a child of God, you were in the kingdom of darkness. That is where everybody is born in this earth. They are born in the kingdom of darkness. And that is why... God the Father sent His Son Jesus because He loved the world, everyone that was born into that kingdom of darkness. He loved and He wanted to give them a way to be in the kingdom of light. And so He gave His Son Jesus who died as a propitiation for the sins of the world. For those who will believe they have this power of life and brought in the kingdom of light applied to them. This power canceled the debt of sin. Nobody is completely debt-free in this matter of sin. Everybody has a sin debt. And when you become a child of God, the debt is canceled. It is gone. It is a way completely fulfilled through Jesus Christ and what He did in His death, burial, and resurrection. 
This is the power that gives us the ability to daily live right in Christian virtue, bring glory to God and edify others and overcome our temptations of sin. This is the power that enables us to enduringly day by day bear fruit that is beautiful and to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We could go on for a while, my friends, but I want you to let this soak in. Let it simmer, let it percolate, whatever your favorite term is, or maybe you want a whole few cluster of terms. God applies awesome power to us through Jesus. So, my friends, we have a champion. He is alive. He will return someday. But in the meantime, we have a present reality of his power in our lives. Let me apply this for one of our struggles in our present Christian experience. We do not have to worry about outcomes. Have you ever been the point where sleep is running away from you, your head is on the pillow because you are stressed about outcomes. Most people, I think, have been in that position and will be in that position again. Outcomes are flooding our hearts and we're trying to figure out what we can do to change outcomes or to maintain the good outcome that we want. And it weighs upon us, it stresses us. It worries us. We can't relax. There is no rest. There is no peace. And I understand, to some extent, we will always do this. This is part of our human capacity. But what is a tragedy is if we forget and we fail to consider the outcomes that come along with living under our champion. It is a tragedy for us to not have dwelled upon, considered, prayed over, meditated on outcomes in light of the champion that we have, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that all of the struggles are going to go away because of the outcomes that concern us, but it's a deeper and greater tragedy if we have not spent time with our Savior, with our champion, considering outcomes in light of Him, in His power, in His return. So, as we consider our champion, as we're looking for a champion, and as we recognize Jesus as our champion, there is a part of our Christian experience which is learning to live under our champion. I just want to mention three aspects. This is not everything, but these are major high points. As we learn to live under our champion, Jesus, it starts with worship. Part of our human capacity is, is that we are worshipers. We were created in God's image, and we will always be worshiping something. So as a Christian, someone who's truly born again, if, if your worship of Jesus is anemic if, anemic, if it's weak, if it's short, and it's just, you know, a matter of duty, then you are worshiping something else. 
Everybody is worshiping something or a group of things. So let's consider that, my friends. You worship something. So how is your private worship of the Lord? Is it rich or is it duty-oriented? That means, if it's duty-oriented, that there's something besides Jesus that you're worshiping. There is another champion you're looking to. There's something that you consider is more worthy or more fulfilling than Jesus himself. So as we learn to live under our champion, we must focus ourselves and measure ourselves by are we worshiping our champion. Next, living by faith. Living by faith. There is a trust factor. There is a day when, when faith will fleet away, when it will run away because Jesus will be present for all of eternity. Faith will be no more. Faith is a temporary reality. But while we are in that temporary reality, our lives are consumed as living under our champion is living in trust and faith. There's things that we cannot physically see, but we can spiritually see through the eyes of faith. And so, as we learn to live under our champion, there is trust, there is faith, there is patience living under our champion, Jesus. So it's, it's through eyes of faith that we can even understand, as Hebrews chapter 11 says, we can even understand our origins. The origin of the universe is only through the eyes of faith. No one else is there. So, so it's through eyes of faith that we can understand our origins. Hebrews 11. And then making Jesus our end game. One of the things as you help children grow and mature is you help them think beyond the moment and understand in the end game how things will end up. And it's the same thing for our Christian life, understanding our end game and what really matters and what we really get upset about and what we just let go. Understanding our end game is a huge part of living under our champion. The things of this earth, they do not matter. They will fade away. Your career, your glory, your your fame, all that goes away. The end game is found in our champion, Jesus, as we spend eternity with him in the new creation. So, as we learn to live under our champion, we learn to consider our end game. What really matters, what really is going to last for eternity. So, learning to live under our champion, starting with worship, living by faith, and making him our end game. So my friends, every human being, no matter if they're looking to Jesus or not, is looking for a champion. And I base that on the fact that every human being is a worshiper because we are created in God's image. You will be a very restless, disenchanted, and unfulfilled person if you're looking for a champion outside of anybody but Jesus Christ himself. So as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this type of victory, this type of power is applied to us as God's people, if indeed you are a child of God. And so as you consider the struggles of our country, the struggles of our world, and the restlessness that's leading people to be ugly and unkind to one another, 
base yourself, root yourself, focus yourself in your champion, Jesus Christ, and the victory there. Take a few minutes and respond to your champion.